Hello and welcome to episode 23 of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. Um, okay, before we begin today, I've got some uh, exciting news, uh, something cool that has happened. <laughs> um, so I'm recording this on Monday the 1st of March at quarter to eight in the evening after I've put my two little girls to bed. Um, so this is we are that up to date. <laughs> you'll notice also that the sound is probably slightly different because I'm in the kitchen um, and you'll be able to hear my dishwasher going as well. Um, me and my wife are fighting for house space this evening. She's got to record some teaching videos. She's a primary school teacher uh, for school. <laughs> so I uh, volunteered to go into the kitchen seeing as my setup is quite portable. Anyway, so the cool news that's happened is on Thursday, I had an email from the Enterprise editor of the Times newspaper. Um, I know that the majority of my listeners are over in the United States and not sure how much you get to see of, of UK stuff. I know that I uh, hear The Guardian mentioned in a lot of the American podcasts I listen to, um, but The Times is what we call a broadsheet newspaper, which is a, a little bit more detailed <laughs> than the crappy newspapers. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I pretty much almost deleted it because I thought it was a... Uh, I just didn't think it was real. I thought it was a fishing thing. Um, so anyway, I read the email and turns out that he listens to this podcast <laughs> and is on my isolated drums mailing list and wanted to interview me as a contributor to a piece he was writing about podcasts um, as a sort of business tool. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely flattered to have been asked to be... Uh, even just to have my opinion... Uh, considered <laughs> I was flattered um, and it just made me so it, anyway it was in uh, today's paper so Monday the 1st of March um, in the business section there's a I'm in, in a subsection and they mention this podcast and uh, the way that it helps me uh, operate my sort of business model if you like and um, yeah that's that it's just very cool to have this business which is kind of only just a year old really um, mentioned in uh, national newspapers and it kind of uh, if if I may say so <laughs> made me feel quite proud um, of what uh, this has all achieved um, and with that in mind I want to express all of my thanks to you guys for listening because um, you know when I started this out I was completely happy with sort of 20 30 listeners and did not expect for one second that I would be getting uh, you know I, I get sort of upwards of 1200 listens a month and I, I, I'm absolutely flabbergasted so thank you to every single one of you who um, takes the time to listen to this and emails me uh, telling with feedback telling me that you enjoy it with guest suggestions uh, everybody you know anyone who's ever said anything nice on Instagram about this or anything on Facebook or whatever just thank you all and um, really wouldn't have a uh, you know, we really wouldn't be in a position to, <laughs> to have this podcast mentioned in a national newspaper if it wasn't for you guys. So I really appreciate it. Um, Righto. So uh, today I'm continuing my conversation with Simon Trott of Soup Studios. He actually, lots of people have got in touch, so lots of the artists that I work with, to say that they've recorded <laughs> with Simon. So it turns out he's done quite a lot of stuff. And in fact, one of the stories, I can't remember if it's in the last episode or this episode that we talk about with the, um, the ukulele shop, uh, is about one of the artists that I'm working with right now. Um, so anyway, I thought that was really funny that uh, I didn't quite realise how... Uh, What's, I don't quite know what the word I'm looking for is, how uh, prolific, that's it, Simon is, and he clearly is extremely prolific in, in sort of the London music scene. Um, anyway, I'll let you go straight on now and I'll quit my waffling. Um, so here it is, part two of Simon Trott Soup Studios. Um, I'm curious to know, so if we think of a band... Um, you know, perhaps a, a band along the same lines that we've been talking about, and they come to they come to the studio and uh, or, you know um, and decide that they want to do something along the lines of what we've just been discussing. Do you have a, um, a, a like a routine approach to to producing and working with a band like that, or d does it vary per? I'm thinking in terms of like the way that you um, set kit mics up or the way that you ask them to record. Do you 
do you have a, a routine or do you, does it just vary per per session no no i've not really i don't really have a routine uh i guess every every, every session's so different and the the players are all different it seems weird to have a have a routine i usually sometimes I, I don't know what the drums even with the same mic setup that say if you'd left one up from the day before or something to save a bit of time or something and you're like oh well it's a similar setup i'll leave, kind of leave it up um the drummer just would, would play differently you know when when a drummer's setting up i'm getting him to play and i'm bobbing around with my ear you know close in around it and it's just like i'm gonna have i'm gonna mic i mic the drums or the guitar up to how they're playing so it, it can be it can be quite di can be quite different um and also i mean that that was a kind of one-off we all wanted to do that little soul project and do that full live recording around the singer but you know that's that's few and far between yeah you know, it's quite niche, and that's not what our studio's full of. It'd be great if it was sometimes, <laughs> but it's uh, just it's you know, no one has that kind of money to do decadent stuff like that. You know, unless that's your thing, and you're a touring band, and you do that really well. You know, like a bluegrass thing, round one mic, that kind of thing, or something. But you know, so sometimes you kind of you want to take elements of that of the exciting process of doing that, but you split. You know, you'll split it down. You know, you just try and you know get get the get the singer instead of him in the booth or her you know get them in the room you know in the action and doing that live vocal for real even though it is a scratch vocal but just get them baffled off enough so that it's not going to so you, you can go over it you know and maybe you know you've they've all rehearsed say if you've got a few guitars and and bass and whatnot in the room but you're still they still they want to record you know in a kind of 60s way and have all that ethic and energy um, but at the end of the day, which is the plan, you know, pre-planned, they still want to track into it and record over it. So you'd kind of set it up as a rehearsal. What you ideally want is the band to be in a comfortable rehearsal room all day. Sometimes they even set a pay up, PA up in the room so that the singer's there singing through no headphones. Everyone's just like they're rehearsing or a little gig or something. And then you just turn the amps off, you know, and so you're just taking the DIs, put headphones on, everyone's got a nice mix but the vibe's still there and the singer's still singing, but you've just, you try and capture that energy while it's there of them being natural and having fun. Quickly, you know, like I say, turn the amps off so you're just actually capturing the drums in the room. Maybe you'll get a little bit of bleed of a guitar that you know is going to be there in some form, not radically different. So it doesn't matter if you hear on the finished result a bit of a sketchy, you know, little flam from a guitar. That's the kind of shit I like hearing on records anyway. Oh, yeah. Where 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 they've been worked into and how it's been brought to the you know the to where it is. So there's ways of kind of breaking that ethic down and using using it all, but not fully committing to like <laughs> you know every note we're playing is uh, is that's it. It's going to be on the radio next week. <laughs> I think that's, sometimes it, that's just it's just too high pressure, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's sort of you know getting best of both worlds. You know we um, you know we have access to. It's amazing technology, so we ought to, um, no, well, not ought to, but it would be foolish to, to not use it. And but it's it's so much of of um, what I enjoy about it all is is it's a, the sort of the mentality towards the process. So you do, you know it's getting that vibe, um, yeah, and setting the situation up so that um, you've got the option to to mix it in a you know in a in a uh, modern environment if you like um you know yeah. using all the mod cottons but it's yeah. it's the the important part of it is getting the um getting it right on the way in um yeah with with the mentality that sort of having the analog gear forces you to have but if you in the way you've just described setting it up like that i think it's really cool and um and uh it's it's really important you know i think that's a really great way of doing it yeah yeah like sometimes it, a lot of the time it's really successful and you know me and the band are really happy and uh just the way the whole thing just really worked you know the other half of the time it can really fall flat on its face <laughs> you know you've just made a load of spill problems for yourself and you know they'll come back in a month later i've changed that bit can we can we move that section there you know it's just like, oh god that's kind of now you're battling against you know the bits of spill and the weirdness of doing a kind of semi-live recording so it can backfire <laughs> can backfire sometimes but um 
you know, not the end of the world, is it? No, <laughs> you, you, take, you take your chances, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of um, there's a couple of particular um, references on the website that that you've put up there, and I think what you you wrote, uh, um, it's quite nice actually. You've put some of the, I'm assuming it's it's the records that you're quite proud of working on, and they you put a little description underneath of the way that some of the way that you've worked on it and i think there's a couple there that sort of really um i don't know i enjoyed reading about and one of them is it is how do you pronounce it the chinelli brothers chinelli brothers yeah. yeah yeah and you talked about um the way you set up the room mics that you were able to start off with the room mics as your um as your starting point and then bringing close mics up in the mix to help um, yeah. to help get the definition i'm assuming and I, yeah. I, I love that that ethos. I just wondered if you could talk about the way that you. I'm going to put links to these in the in the notes of the show, so people can hopefully go and listen once you've talked about it. I'd love to to hear you discussing the way that the way you approach that particular record. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I can't tell take full credit for that because you know, even though it's you know that stuff that I've kind of done in the past for that session, I was I was really into the band and I was a bit nervous about recording them and. Uh, you know, and you know, like it's a bit of a bit of a flurry uh, to get it all set up and everything. But I, you know, we set up we set up um, a pair of coals up in the middle of the room on this kind of bar that puts them in a really good kind of phase coherent kind of thing. Um, and you know, it was their suggestion really. It's like we're not we're not going to record a note until you know for real until the until uh, the whole band sounds sounds balanced in these in this pair of coals um and i was just like oh yeah i'm on i'm on this shit great you know this is brilliant this is brilliant all over this so uh and it was just it was just a real eye-opener because they're, they're quite they were quite recording recording nerds themselves you know so they came in to do a, this kind of big blues record which was super cool um so they needed to come in and record it better than what they could obviously in the little project spaces and whatnot mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just it was just fascinating to to have a a, st- a stereo picture that totally lines up with where they all were in the room for a start and then you know tweaking the amp you know they say the guitar amp or the bass amp just by tiny bits that actually made a massive difference to that to that balanced sound in those in those room mics and then you know like i said everything else was just mic'd up you know just you know nicely as well but not overly mic'd you know maybe four mics on the drums and uh you know one on the guitar cab not like crazy multi mics or anything like that um just because it hardly needed any bolstering when if you can get that bit right it only needed little bits of the close mics to you know it sounded too weird if you had them too high (laughs) yeah you know it didn't sound it didn't sound right you know because it's a proper like kind of bb king live kind of vibe that record i suppose like the, the amazing thing about that that band the singer was also playing the the lead guitar licks and everything which i found totally mind-blowing i couldn't figure out <laughs> it's like the, the man with two brains how he was making this sweet sound come out of the, the guitar amp and at the same time singing you know singing just completely you know on point yeah. and soulful and everything. It's really one thing about that session. I remember it was a few weeks before they came in. I was nerding out with a friend about like sixties vocal sounds and stuff. And uh, yeah, my friend was like, oh, "I love, I love that sound where it sounds like the the vocal doesn't fit in the mic. Like it's all like spilling out around the edges because it it doesn't fit in. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And it and it really got me going. It's like oh, I'm gonna try something like this with this blues band. So. I actually, for his main vocal, I used a D19 ah, C, you know, the, 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 the Beatles bike, yeah. uh, Beatles uh, mic, um, through that drama valve pre, um, and it totally had that effect. You know, he just, he was kind of blowing it out, you know, blowing so much into that mic that it's it gave it that, uh, I don't know, like, it's like everyone talks about it now, that kind of perceived loudness, don't they, is, yeah. you know. Um, it sounds more powerful and big mm. when it's it doesn't you know when you're not capturing it all and you it's like something's a bit strained somewhere 
you know, if you imagine if he was singing in a clean room or a vocal booth through a big condenser mic and it was picking up everything that he was singing and then you kind of have to squash that down in a kind of you know compress it down so that it fits within the music then then he's going to sound like he's smaller <laughs> but if you you know what i mean but if you I, I i don't know maybe part of his voice you know was coming out on some room mics as well i can't remember but the vocal sound i was really really chuffed with on that record like it just it sounded you know like ripping mm. like it you know it just yeah I love that, the idea that, that, that really works. Yeah, the vocals spilling out of the mic. I just that's such... like it doesn't fit in. Like yeah. all that big voice just don't doesn't go down that little tube. So it, a bit goes in, and the rest all gets kind of squashed out around the edges, like an ice cream melting <laughs> or something. It's got. Do you know what I mean? What a cool way yeah. of thinking about it. That's incredible. <laughs> I love it. And that is the sound yeah, of that... those D19s, isn't it? I can I can yeah. picture exactly what you're talking about just from the way you're describing yeah. it. It's amazing. Yeah. And they've got a really fast attack on them, you know. Like it was a lot of it was like spitty kind of vocal, and it's like it just it softened it, but it kept the attack, you know. It kept the attack and then rounded off the rest of the rest of it, yeah. Oh, lovely. And I guess the um, having the Coles doing the the sort of the heavy work in with everybody else is that is a good choice. I mean, I, I have a, a mono Coles that I use on the kit and I know that it's got such a nice low end to it and it's such a yeah um a, a rich sounding mic. I can imagine it's perfect for for sort of getting that nice balance. It's it they feel like the perfect pair of mics to use for that and I I can again yeah. I can imagine exactly how they'd have sounded. Yeah. Yeah, it really worked cuz they they were right we had in that studio really high ceilings so we had them quite high up um and they're so bassy those bikes aren't they but when they're not being used like close up on a guitar amp or something you know the that that really low bass it really it, like it's not super pronounced like proximity wise like when you're using them close up but it just it's all there isn't it all that depth is just uh being captured kind of secretly <laughs> down at the bottom isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah perfect yeah good choice for, um, the, for that yeah. So then the second, uh, the second one that that sort of stood out was the is actually the first. It's I'm calling them reference tracks, but they're just tracks that you you've got up as an example of what you do. But there's a that the, a chap called Johnny Flynn. Um, you're talking oh, yeah. about yeah. Oh, the wax cylinder recording that um, that he brought in. Um, yeah. And the you sort of dovetail it in with him singing. Um, well playing now and the way that that record sounds is so cool <laughs> it, it is really is a it sounds like an old you know a turn of the century sort of waxed in the recording and then suddenly yeah suddenly yeah uh, morphs if you skip it from the beginning to the end it's morphed into current sound but you're not quite sure when that happened yeah yeah it, so it got it i think maybe um it it uh flows between that wax cylinder recording and a you know a nicely recorded modern recording maybe two or three times within without the, within the song mm -hmm. and it you know it, end, it ends as it started with the really scratchy loads of wow and flutter blah, 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 you know yeah and then whoosh, the the record the needle uh yeah falling off or something <laughs> but that, that was really funny it was i don't think johnny uh, he's a lovely guy to work with johnny flynn very generous as well but like I think he's you know he's he's a real recording nerd as well. He got the opportunity to go and record it. Someone set this. It was like a kind of corporate. Someone was selling some bourbon, like a corporate gig, and he just they'd invited people to come to this really busy club, and it was kind of set up in some booth where, you know, people would just go in and record and sing something. You know, so the audience were hearing it as well, but it was being recorded, and it so it was some old fangled you know mad inventor wax cylinder type of thing and at the same time it was being pressed onto a flexi disc wow like instantly as well so that's what he he brought in from the night before doing this weird gig because he <laughs> wanted to go and do this weird recording you know we just put it on the turntable to record it in into the uh interface just so he had it to for reference you know i might have in my i don't think he was really going to use it or maybe it was just a fun a fun thing to do yeah and i was just like blown away with how that sounded <laughs> Oh God, yeah. It's just so. It's that kind of stuff that you try and recreate with all sorts of like clever technology, but it never really sounds right, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, it was just a really nice process to uh, get the band to just put their parts 
go over it like that was a guide track like you're working into it and then for the final mix yeah moving moving the the listener between the two scenarios really was it a a challenge to to match um obviously not you're not matching them um perfectly but sort of um, complement each other was it a challenge to get the balance um they're all good musicians who work with johnny so it wasn't too bad and maybe what even decided where we faded the old and the new in was the bits that there was kind of a bit more nailed rather than too too sloppy and messy mm. you know so just uh you know, like the whole take wasn't amazing but the bits where the the new recording comes up they were tight and not super tight because then that's i like the jar of it being slightly off as well when it when it crosses over yeah yeah oh, it's just really cool <laughs> i mean it wax, wax <laughs> cylinders is not something you um that come up in conversation very often <laughs> no and I, I wish i'd been there that night to see it and just have a little nerd out on what the, the gear i can't oh, even yeah. remember the details it was uh you know i was just blown away when i heard it and uh, yeah yeah really cool in. yeah have you got any um like i say i'm gonna link to some projects um and uh, everything that we've talked about i'll put links to and have you got any other artists that you've worked with that you're particularly fond of the the sounds that you've got ah uh, i mean the main ones um i mean not not so recent but over the years of working with the wave pictures as uh, that's always been a highlight um Allo darling let's wrestle those kind of bands it was did a lot of that kind of like you know quite immediate new kind of young music you know uh in the couple of studios studios ago we were underneath a, a ukulele shop <laughs> in uh just off brick lane and it was just a real buzzing hive you know bands would just walk in because they'd want to buy a harmonica or a you know a ukulele or something and they'd hear someone playing drums downstairs and you know next minute you they're booked in to record down in this weird little space under the <laughs> ukulele shop so that's where I met all those really exciting kind of bands from around that time, you know, about 10 years ago or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Wave Pitchers, uh, good friends with them now. We're uh, snooker snooker buddies as well as recording buddies. But Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just one of those bands that you can, you could just, you know, stick a tin can and a piece of string in front of them and they sound good. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? They're just... They're insanely talented, those guys. Um, funnily enough, while I was cooking, um, my uh, my family, I, I called them the, the girls because <laughs> there's two little girls yeah. and my wife. But while I was cooking the girls' dinner, that's who I had on um, the Spotify. <laughs> and, uh, it was, I, I loved it too. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, they they do sound absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it was, I, I was still, this is before I'd really got to grips with, you know professional type of recording commercial recording which we do a bit more of these days just because of the nature of where we are but you know back then i was still back in the you know that was on the old ms task ms tape machine and you know just the room was so tiny that you, we couldn't even record like double basses down there because the ceiling was so low oh wow and like and it was just so loud that was again the early stuff dave singing through an old vox pa in the room you know and the vocal sound was <laughs> pretty much you know a mic on the cab of the vox pa you know <laughs> like and it kind of sounds like that it's it's really rough and sketchy sounding um and everything's you know really loud in this tiny room and everything's just getting clustered up together but they it just sounds super cool like all that stuff did the let's wrestle when they recorded down there they nearly blew the roof off how loud they were <laughs> you know and it's you know, there's there's no you know subtleties with ambient miking in a situation like that. You know, you just got to get some mics in front of these amps that are gonna cope with the volume, and then sort sort it sort it out afterwards. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. exciting exciting times those uh, those days. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool. I I like how um, just trying to think of the best way to put it into words. I really enjoy how the way that your um, the way that you work has evolved to the point yeah. where you've now got, um, you know, it sounds like you do some fairly eclectic recordings from, you know, right from the sort of really um, interesting stuff that we've been talking about through to sort of modern stuff. But you, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the way that your the way your journey's led up to it is, has been 
it's almost that uh, it's like paying your dues almost that like the way you're describing recording in that room has le- meant that when you came to doing something like the Cinelli brothers that we've discussed it's almost the same thing but with a bit more finesse now that yeah yeah t- totally yeah yeah I think it's I, yeah. it's it's been it's really interesting hearing about it I I, I every new thing that you're every new story is like okay I can see why you've done some of the things that you've done on the things I've heard because of what you've just yeah. said. <laughs> yeah, it would be totally overwhelming. Like even even say if uh, you you'd gone to college and learnt music production or engineering for you know a few years and then been thrown into the world of uh, you know recording as how it is now in a commercial studio, it would be so daunting. So I do I do, I do feel lucky that I I had a really slow progression and. But mainly working, you know, learning on the job. Really, I didn't have any uh, formal training as a as a sound engineer, and you know, probably to my detriment along the way. You know, I, a lot of the times I just wish, oh God, what, I wish I knew how how this shit worked rather than just like bus <laughs> busking it all the time. You know, you know, maybe some of the bands, you know, might have helped them a little further down the road if I'd have you know known what I was doing a bit more rather than just having a party with them. You know. What I mean? so, <laughs> oh well life's there for living isn't it (laughs) um yeah yeah so i I wonder if um oh let's do this one first so it uh, of all the gear in the studio you i mean you've got quite a lot of we've talked about studio gear there's a load of um you've got some really lovely instruments there too um yeah but do you have um uh, a piece of gear that you you couldn't live without or something that you particularly is on every recording that you make you know, I'd be, I don't think, I don't think I do. Like, I'm not, I'm not a gearhead, re- really. Like, it's that I buy it, and you know, and it, it, it's in the studio, and you kind of need a certain amount of this and that because people want to, you know, be able to at least know they're recording through some kind of name microphones and things <laughs> that they're familiar with. They know their voice sounds good on this mic, whatever. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough one that. Um, I mean, like, apart from apart from the obvious, like yeah, the uh, the tape machine, it'd be lovely to. Uh, well, it'd be sad not to ever record on tape again. That's one of the ones where, that kind of beats. Like I say, the. You know the, yeah, you know, the expensive mics and the this and that and all this gear, the preamps. It's like, if you just get it all going through, if you can get it all to go through that machine, then that's worth ten you know pre api pre's or whatever that's, you know that's that's my, that's my view anyway um yeah i'm not really not really a gearhead i use i've just always used what is around what i can get you know get my hands on i suppose well that's the old um, um, the old sort of thing of uh i think it's i mean jeff emmerich is who i'm going to quote and i think he's probably the person i've quoted most <laughs> on this podcast um, right. but he's uh, there's a i'm sure it's him that said this it was a quote about um, someone was asking him what mics the Beatles used in um, for a particular thing, and he just uh, or why he'd used a particular mic on a particular amp or something, and he went well because yeah. it was the one that was the closest. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. that's kind of what you've just said. It's the gear doesn't matter, and I I love that answer. I think that's that's uh, it's a brilliant answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I don't know. A lot of the times, like oh yeah, a lot of the high end gear works really well in certain situations but a lot of recording is the job of like 57s you know and little mics like that really that haven't as far as i know they haven't really been bettered you know (laughs) just these that you kind of 60 70 quid mic you know the um it's a tough life sometimes i mean maybe it's a testament to you know my uh how uh (laughs) how rubbish i'm at um this kind of thing but you know, sometimes I've done, you know, mic'd up a guitar with a 57, you know, and an, and an 87, you know, uh, and there's a bit of joy. You get a kind of, uh, you know, kind of amalgamation of a sound which gives a kind of richer kind of saturation when you've got two mics on one amp. Yeah. But when I, so- when I solo the two, you know, and just listen to, right, that's just the 57, you know, that's, that's just the 87. It's like there's only a tiny bit of an EQ tweak on a plug-in to make them sound so similar that like (laughs) 
do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how. It's a tough. It's a tough one. I love it. I think you're absolutely right. And it, you know, boggles my mind that um, one of my favourite mics. And I've, I've um, talked about it on my sort of social media recently. Is this um, SC Electronics mic that I've got on my kick drum, and it was right. um, sixty quid. I got it for right. Um, the disconnect. Sorry, that was on. the brand I was trying to think earlier when I had the two condensers when I first started. They were SE Electronics. Oh, were they? They are interesting. Yeah, because yeah. they yeah. they so make great what, mics. what one have you got there then? It's an uh, it's called an X1D, um, right? And I think they made it specifically to be a a, a low end, um, you know, for basses or kick drums or whatever. Um, yeah, and I think when they first came out, I think they were. Well, and they weren't, you know, as as mics go, they weren't expensive, but they were a couple of hundred quid or two or three hundred pounds. Um, and then they just got discontinued for some reason. And I read an interview with um, uh, a producer in Nashville who said that he was using this mic. And I think it was around the time that they came out. So he might, you know, he probably just bought it, um, bought it because it was new. And yeah. Um, anyway, I, I found one on brand new on a, like a, it was because they're end of the line and I think it was the last one in the UK because I looked everywhere for it wow. um, and oh, it was yeah. yeah 60 quid and it's incredible I absolutely adore it and I've you know got uh, got all the standard kick mics and used them before and and I've nothing it sounds the same as this one thing that I've got and it it's just exactly what you've said and it makes me you know, makes me smile that the the preamp I've got it running through <laughs> costs, yeah. um, you know, like 15 times that. Um, and then yeah. it, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's kind of like what you're saying. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, when uh, when we were recording uh, with the band, I remember we'd, we were using this uh, uh, producer we were a bit of a fan of because he'd done stuff with Teenage Fan Club and Clinic, those kind of bands at the time. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know we were obsessed uh, with I think that album uh, songs from Northern Britain kind of quite a late teenage fan club record yeah I come out and it's just got the most uh, you know powerful you know big star kind of guitar you know really middly really punchy guitar sounds on it yeah. all layered up and everything and we're you know like oh how, how did you get that sound recording uh, the guitars on that record and it's like uh <laughs> so they had all their amps you know in their flight cases on wheels yeah and they so they just uh hung a 57 down you know tangled around the handle so it didn't slip down and then put the lid put the lid back on the case with the amp <laughs> in blaring away you know and that and that's how they did the you know i'm just like and i always kind of hear stories like that you have to build up in your mind about you know all this kind of you know heritage and kudos and all this kind of these legends about you know recording all this stuff and some of it's true and it's amazing but sometimes you're just blown away with like how how you know unexciting or like how wrong it is <laughs> that that's how they did it but it had so, it's got such a cool cool sound you know by doing that yeah <laughs> Bo boxing and i'm back in its flight case with a 57 I'm, sideways on oh, on the cone do you know what i mean that's mad <laughs> I, i've never heard yeah. that that's incredible I, i'm i'm written it down as you were talking about it because i want to go and listen to that record now <laughs> yeah Great record, full of yeah, big pop hits, yeah, oh, nice. indie pop hits, yeah. It's kind of making, it's making sounds that are different, isn't it? Rather than um, yeah, trying to recreate, you know, a tried and tested method. You, you're you're trying to make something that makes people's ears prick up and go, oh, what's that? And yeah, that's why yeah. it's so often wrong is is good because wrong is different. Like, yeah, and I've, like I said, I've I've attracted I've tracked a band with exactly the same setup. You know, as the the band the day before, and it it sounds naff. It sounds horrible. It's it's a lot to do with how people play their instruments, and you know, uh, 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 there's a lot more that will make something an exciting sound, you know, and not generic and not, you know, f from the source rather than chasing it with mics and preamps and EQs and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, chasing is a is a great word to use <laughs> in this context. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Um, you spend your life chasing a sound that that only exists because it was captured in a particular room on a particular day with a particular person, uh, you know, yeah. playing into it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Might have even been the temperature, the air temperature that day. You don't know. There's so many variables in there of how it. all this equipment uh, performs. Yeah. Um. So, 
I'd love to know if you have a. I, I was gonna. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for a sort of a piece of advice that you've been given, but I'm interested if if there's a. I mean, you've you've you probably said it already, but there's sort of technical advice and then almost um, career advice. I mean, you've had a long career um, and moved studios numerous times, and you're still um, it's still working for you. Um, yeah. Do you have? Um, I, either one or the other or both uh, bits of advice that you've been given that perhaps somebody who is listening to this who um so maybe a piece of advice for somebody who's listening to this who's got a two track um you know equivalent of the m audio um in a, yeah. in a bedroom how how would they approach getting a, a a sort of respectable sounding record how would you advise that they approach that um Oh, or some key one. points, really, rather than yeah, sort of, yeah. Um, I mean, I've always, I always feel like I've had some. Uh, I don't know. I guess what I feel has given me a bit of longevity is, um, like choosing. Uh, like just not maybe sometimes not slowing the the pace down in a session. Sometimes I know that if if I stopped for <clears throat> ten minutes and you know, rejigged something or, you know, or I, I don't know, just knew that I could get it to sound a bit better by doing something, but I'd have to kind of stop the session, take five, da-da-da. If you, you know, you can do that at such the wrong time that you'd never get the energy back that you've built up by, you know, the relationship. This is quite an extreme situation. So, you know, you, you the relationship with the band and the excitement of coming in and everyone setting up and da da da. If you let something technical get in the way of that flow, you might not ever get that back in that session. So I would always take an inferior recording over something better where you know it's sonically technically better, but you've lost. They're kind of going through the motions a little bit to get back to where they were. Yeah, um, I kind of feel that's that's helped me. You know, have a bit of longevity. I think. Um, I think that's quite that a difficult respect. one for people to, um, you know, say you're on your own in in a in a room and and you're, you, you mean you can have that same amount of energy that you're discussing, um, yeah. And there's the temptation there to to just redo something because it's not quite right, um, yeah. Is stopping the momentum as you're saying, and it could be, you know, it takes a lot of, um, again, it's a, it's a sort of bravery to 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 say, well, that's an exciting take, even though it's not technically perfect um yeah and sort of learning yeah. to go with go with the flow even if you're if you're just recording at home or recording with a few sort of friends together or whatever doing something like you yeah, yeah i think that's no, a really good piece of i advice. mean it's, it's a tough like you know the first the, how you asked the question earlier they're just there's just so many every engineer is different the music they're, they're like the whole genre of how they record that type of music is so different i guess it's quite niche what what you know the way I've done it, um, but you know, not not everyone's a kind of sixties head, you know, kind <laughs> of old, old type. Um, what I mean, more recently, I do. Yeah, it's a matter of you know more to, I guess, regard to mixing, you know, mastering that kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out is that good, is that bad, can we do it better, and how do you how do you land on the right decision and I've I've learned to do a lot of kind of critical thinking. I do a lot of <laughs> A Bing these days. You know, spend hours you know, <laughs> deliberating whether so that move that I just made there. You know, is that better than what it was? And it's you know this constant back and forth of mm -hmm. trying to always add something of value to the recording. Sometimes that just takes loads of listening to figure it out. It takes a bit of time. That's that side of things. You know, the temptation would be to like bang, bang, like, let's get another guitar solo down, I'll comp it up later, bang, bang, bang. Just like if you've got the time, you know, just take the time to uh, try and get out of the bubble. You know, look, you know, swim around a bit higher up and look down. Like, how important is this? What is that? Even though it's flawed, is is that a more exciting take than this one that was perfect, but it just doesn't have something, something there. Um yeah i mean and you know in regard to running a studio i've just basically just had to keep a, ahead of the game really you know constantly moving you know 
gentrification has been a big a big problem with uh, keeping a, a, a space in a place you know where three years down the line you're there suddenly it's like the trendiest place on earth so <laughs> you can't afford to be there anymore and like yeah and as I say it's not just me anymore at Soup you know it's been quite a while that I've had you know other other guys alongside me helping and they're, they're just I've got <clears throat> you know Giles and Dave and Sam the three other engineers they're just super talented in their own rights and not just at engineering and recording they've all got kind of like business skills as well which mm. really help run keep something running you know you know i'm useless at that side of things so <laughs> you know having people uh you know helping out you know in that side is just essential really or you just you go under it's, you know, it's you so just, important so suddenly the studio the studio would just be dead one month and you're it's over it's all over <laughs> everything you've built up you know so it's a yeah teamwork yeah that's a, i mean it's a, a skill that is um doesn't come naturally to musicians i suppose um no no but you know i've uh had to drag myself kicking and screaming into it and um you know it sounds like you're you've you're lucky to have some people who who know yeah. about it as well and it's it's just so difficult to to market and um and stay ahead exactly like you're saying you know you within yeah six months of, of making a decision that you think is going to be a you know it's a really big decision we've made and it's going to change things six months a year later you're having to do that again um yeah and uh and just keep moving forward because stuff changes so fast yeah yeah i mean yes it's a payoff isn't it like you could if i decided to have done this out in the country somewhere in a place that i owned or something you know great you would have built this place but you know, I wouldn't have met all the exciting musicians if I hadn't have been in the centre of London. You know, working away all this time, and I think know, that the, the, the fact that you've held on. Bustle. Sorry, I was, I was, I'm just going to say that the fact that you've held on in in London is is unbelievable. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Know, talk about Brick Lane. I mean, Brick Lane is like you've just said, it was suddenly turned into the trendiest place ever, and um, and however many others you went through and. Um, yeah just i i i, I do not like that, envy that, you. That, <laughs> that move was probably one of the riskiest because i'd come from, the studio i had before that was way up out of town in bounds green uh in a kind of it's like a kind of series of office rooms that i'd kind of you know cabled up and everything and i built a vocal booth and it was really you know it's good it was there wasn't one big room but there was like two or three you know, main rooms and a good lounge with a piano and you could smoke in there. And it was just like really a good recording space. It was private, you know, and you could, even though it was kind of, you know, quite disgusting, cockroach infested <laughs> type of thing, you know, for a studio, it was quite, fun it functioned really well, you know. And then, you know, this a band came in and the, the drummer had, but you know, was halfway through building this rehearsal space underneath his ukulele shop for his band <laughs> to record in. And it's just like... Why, why didn't you come and set it up down there? And I'm like, oh, you know, the room, oh my God, it's like it's like the size of two snooker tables, you know? <laughs> and then the control room was like the size of one snooker table, you know, with a tiny little slot, you know? And it was just the most hideous idea to set up a recording studio down there. But if I'd, if I'd stayed up in Bounds Green, I probably wouldn't have survived. I don't think, you know, it was moving down into the center of town and doing something like that that like you say every step you might you might have to give up some some poshness or some technical stuff you know like a really good space sometimes just for moving somewhere your recordings are flawed but at least you're recording at least bands are coming in because they know you're there under the ukulele shop <laughs> you know I, I love it. it that sounds really cool i'm I'm sad i never got to see that <laughs> love the fact that it's a ukulele shop as well very neat yeah well, now it's some poncy uh, clothes boutique. Oh, know, is it? Two two rails and a, a you know a dress for two grand or something. Yeah, but, and then a, a breakfast yeah, cereal yeah. bar in the back. Yeah, ironically, they had a drum kit in the centre of the, their main display in the centre of the, uh, the ukulele shop upstairs was just like this naff like drum kit, black sonar drum kit or something. Just like, oh god, I just oh, it winds me up too much that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh. Well, you, it's almost like you've you've escaped it, but by staying in it, um, in in the boat, it seems like the perfect solution. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I mean, that's probably I don't really have that much 
advice really i've kind of bumbled along really <laughs> and uh, a lot of lot of luck being at the right place at the right time i guess you know the right age and stuff so yeah oh i love it yeah, is there like, so now, now i crave for places like you got you know like the back the, the top room of a brass band rehearsal <laughs> place in a village up near in yorkshire you know that's like oh god that's the oh, i want that now you know <laughs> just yeah i'm envious of uh of that kind of setup. So. Well, the, the, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to link to uh, so you're on Instagram. Is it just at Soup Studios or? Yeah, at Soup Studios. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll I'll put some links to that in the show notes. And there's a um, a really good website which I'd recommend um, people go and have a little poke around if they're if they're interested to find out more. Um, is, yeah. is that soupstudios.co.uk? Trying to think off the top of my head now. Uh, the yeah, the the website's soupstudio dot. Yeah, studio without an. I don't. S. I don't it, it is yeah. dot co dot uk. Soupstudio dot co dot uk. It is got you, got you. Yeah, yeah. Found it. So I'll um I'll put links to those, and I I do recommend that um if you're listening to this that you do go and have a poke around. There's some great bands on there. I often get people asking me to recommend bands, and I found a re- a few really good ones <laughs> looking at the website. So um, um I've got plenty to get listening through too. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's with all the four engineers, we've all got a kind of page on the website with all the kind of our own, you know, stuff that we're really interested in. You know, there's been some cracking, like, you know, contemporary jazz, all that kind of the South London kind of new jazz scene. Uh, lots of, like, uh, really good hard rock stuff, you know, just it's, it's a real, it's an eclectic mix. Yeah. The four of us have quite different tastes and work in different ways, and it... And it works, you know, it, it does work. I really enjoy the other work the other guys do as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I haven't looked at those uh, at their pages, but I'll definitely go and have a look. Don't listen to much yeah. contemporary jazz nowadays, but I like to dip my toe in the water occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even just go and look at the website just to look at the big red boat. It's a beauty. It really is. It's yeah. beautiful, yeah. Um, it's been really lovely chatting to you. Thanks so much for speaking to to me cool yeah yeah thanks for uh inviting me uh yeah i'll I'll be using your services at some point yeah <laughs> well I, I look forward to it that's how I, we got in touch yeah there's always projects where it's it'll be easier to get joe to record some you know <laughs> pertinent 60s drums rather than sweating away trying to get someone to do it you know who's not quite you know can't quite do it so it's a good it's a great thing you've got going there oh i appreciate that thank you So there we have it, Simon Short of Soup Studios. Um, I definitely recommend going to check out their website, uh, soupstudio, no s at the end of studio.co.uk. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, there's some cool pictures of the boat. There's one of it parked right outside the Millennium Dome or the O2, whatever we call it these days. Um, I'm from Leeds, you know, I'm not from London. <laughs> um, and there's some great microphones and some great shots of uh, inside and all sorts of stuff. So it's worth just having a little nosy around that. And these also, uh, if you go to each of the producers sort of subsections, they they have a lot of um, actual music from the artists that they've worked on. And as you've heard Simon saying in this uh, sort of interview, he's worked with some pretty interesting artists and they all sound brilliant. They've all made their way. I have a playlist that I add to Um Oddly enough, it's called Drum Practice Playlist. It's just sort of my my playlist I have on in the house with the family. And a lot of the artists that Simon's worked with have made their way onto that playlist. It's a sort of a playlist of stuff that makes me feel happy. Um, so there we go. Thanks, Simon, for coming on. Um, next episode, I have a n- interesting one for you. It's a new thing I'm going to be trialing. Um, it's gon- going to be almost like a subject podcast. So um, I'm chatting with two... Uh, chaps who are experts on the drummer Bobby Graham who had played on uh, 15,000 odd hits in the uh, in the 60s and and sort of early 70s and you know if I mean prolific applies to that absolutely sort of you might describe them as uh, he was part of the UK's wrecking crew Um, and he played on the kinks and they got in touch with me through the Shell Tell Me podcast because um, they've been in touch with Shell Tell Me about research for the Bobby Graham Facebook page. 
Um, anyway, they're super nice guys and super knowledgeable. And I want to start doing more of these episodes where a couple of guests um, and myself talk about the career of an individual. Because unfortunately, the, the nature of the topic that we're discussing, which is, you know, 60s recording, fewer and fewer people who were in the 60s actually doing the recording exist. Um, and they're very the ones who do exist have told their story a lot so it's quite tricky to get hold of them often um, and I think that it's not fair also to skip over people just because I can't speak to them directly that um, you know they often made a huge contribution to 60s recordings so there's a, a list of topics that I'd like to discuss some of which have been suggested by you um, and the first of which is Bobby Graham which is obviously a, a topic that interests me because he was a, a drummer who you'll hear me admit I'm embarrassingly I'd never heard of um, which is insane but obviously I'd heard lo absolutely tons of the stuff he'd done um, so that's what's happening next week and I'd be really interested to hear your feet next week next episode hear your feedback on that because as I say it's a new idea that I'm trialing um, they're a little bit more work to put together from my point of view, but that's all good because I love putting them together. Um, so there we go. That's what's to look forward to next time. Um, that just leaves me to say, if you'd like to get in touch with me on a subject suggestion or anything like that, um, if you want to know about the re remote drum recording that I do or the Isolated Drums Club where I re-record be uh, re the Beatles stuff, um, you can visit my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. You can get in touch with me, joe at allyouneedisdrums, or send me a message on Facebook or Instagram and I'll reply on there. I tend to be a little slower replying on those than to email, but feel free to get in touch with me. I will always reply back to you. Um, and I want to say a huge thank you to Mr. Joe Kane, um, who I should also mention, blooming heck, I feel like loads has happened in the last two weeks, has released this a new project called The Poppermost, um, like the toppermost of the poppermost and it's incredible it's like pastiche beetles in the 60s so i think i'm gonna have to get him back on because it's absolutely unbelievable and i want to know every detail about how he recorded that and um, so yes i will certainly endeavor to do that and go and check that out the poppermost um, anyway, yes, so thank you to Joe for putting the intro and outro music together and my good friend David Henshaw for the artwork that he supplies for every podcast. Um, and thank you for listening. I will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Goodbye! Goodbye!